Next on Abounding Grace, we'll see why it's so very important for us to be together rather than apart. Don't pretend that being together with other believers, being under the, uh, the systematic teaching of the Bible perhaps, or together to sing together and worship together, come together to pray together, come together to encourage one another. Don't forsake it. Don't forsake it. Why? Well, we learned right in the beginning of Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. Not good. We need to be together. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. We're traveling through Genesis one verse at a time here on Abounding Grace. Glad you could be with us as we do. Pastor Ed Taylor has an eye on Genesis chapter 2, where a very real choice is before Adam and Eve. Will they choose to follow God's path or the path of sin and rebellion? It's a choice we all have to make on a regular basis. Let's see what went down and what we can take away from it. Let's pick up where we left off last time in Genesis chapter 2. If you take your Bibles and open them, Genesis chapter 2. And our Bible study today is entitled, The Perfect Man and Perfect Woman. And last time we were together, we learned of God's perfect rest. We also learned of the perfect garden He created. And in His creation, we're reminded that God gave His best. So by way of review, let's just pick up back in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2, where it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You know, in Psalm 103, verse 14, it says that God knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. And here we learn how God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Man is God's crowning creation. You and I have been created in God's image. And we learned last time that the word formed is used of a potter shaping the clay and implies that God is directly involved in the shaping and the fashioning of man's physical body because man is both physical in his body, but he's also spiritual, made up of body, soul, and spirit. And it's encouraging to me because you and I, men and women, We alone have the ability to communicate with God. We alone have access to the blood of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately and fortunately both, we both need the blood of Jesus Christ and also can receive it. But after Adam's sin, there was immediate separation, as we'll see in chapter 3. And that's why today you and I need to be born again by the Spirit of God to re-enter into this relationship that's enjoyed here in chapter 2. As they're put into the garden to enjoy it, to tend it, to work it, to enjoy one another. But notice, before we get there, verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, 
and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from, where, from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It's the one which encompasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, Bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It's the one which encompasses the whole land of Cush. The name of the third is Hidekel, or the Tigris. It's one that goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. So God, was, God created man, and he was placed in this perfect environment. And what a beautiful, awesome, luscious, spectacular environment he was given. And what a job Adam must have had, untouched and untainted by sin. There was no competition. There was no pollution, no backbiting, no dirty jokes. It, it was just vocation, but it was also fulfilling. There was a recreation within the vocation. That's God's desire. And then in verse 9, you've got the two trees, and the two trees would prove to be too much for Adam and Eve, as we'll see later in chapter 3. And we get the general location of the Garden of Eden, which in some of the areas we know, in some of the areas we're uncertain. And then in verse 15, it says, Then God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, as God places man, places Adam, in the garden, I think that as we step back for a moment, we need to understand that here in the garden, God placed limitations on Adam. Now, I know that being limited is not a popular subject today. What is the popular subject today? Freedom. Absolute freedoms. And it's also been interpreted, nobody can tell me what to do. Uh, and especially you can't tell me what to do. And, and it's quite the, the, the human response to limitations. What we hear more about today is freedom. And almost always those that would emphasize freedom, it's almost always emphasized in a wildly selfish way. When someone is emphasizing their freedoms, they're almost always talking about the freedoms that they themselves have not necessarily the freedoms that you have. Although if it is emphasized, the freedoms that you have, it's always to then support the freedoms that they're talking about, their own freedoms. But God, he places limitations on us, like it or not. We see from the very beginning, God placed limitations upon man for his own good. As any good parent would, as anyone in law enforcement, anyone that has responsibility, understand the value and the necessity of limitations. But let, from God's perspective, understand this. As creator, it is God's prerogative of how he places limitations on you and me. It's his prerogative. He has the ultimate right to limit our lives as he sees fit. Of course, we're always demanding explanations. We always want to know why. This isn't fair. And on and on the list will go. But it's God's prerogative. It's his desire. He doesn't have to answer to man. He's not accountable to you. We're accountable to him. And where do we find these limitations? Not in church doctrine. Not in a doctrinal statement or in a his church history book. 
The limitations that God places upon his creation are found in his word. And I mean, if you, if you really want to look at uh, a simple reminder of what do you mean, Ed? What are you talking about limitations? Just consider and jot it down in Exodus chapter 20. We have listed out for us what's commonly known as the Ten Commandments. Not the Ten Suggestions, but the Ten Commandments. And, and you'll find as you walk down and kind of list out the Ten Commandments, well, before you get to two, three, or four, you're going to find great guilt in your life. And it's certainly before you get to the top, finish all 10 of them, there'll be a few that you can look at your life and go, yeah, I've surpassed that limitation in my life. I have chosen to go against God's will for my life. But we have to ask ourselves, what is wrong with the Ten Commandments? I mean, can you find fault in the law of God? What exactly is wrong with the prohibition of stealing? Don't steal. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't lie. What's wrong with those? They're good and healthy and spiritual and strong. They help form relationship. They help retain relationship. But lying and stealing and dishonesty and sexual sin and adultery and on and on the list goes, they break relationship. And in the garden, there was a limitation that God placed upon man that was too much for them to bear. But even more so, when you think of the limitations that God has placed, the most important limitation that every man, woman, and child needs to face is the limitation of how a person is saved, how a person has a right relationship with God. I think Jesus would say it best when he said, he's the way the truth, and the life. And what do he say? No one comes to the Father. That's all of us. No one comes to the Father except through him, through me, he says. So the limitation that goes to all humanity is there's only one way for your life to be right with God. There, there aren't five. There aren't ten. There's only one way, through faith in the risen Lord. God places this tree of death in the garden of life and then tells them they couldn't touch it. Why would he do that? You know, that's a common question today. It may not be asked that way, but why would God place something before them and then limit them, Adam and Eve? Why would God allow, put things in our path and then limit us, limit us from participating and enjoying? It's easy to look at that as we saw last time. That's unfair. That's not right. But the tree reminds us not only of the limitations of God, but the tree reminds us of your powerful ability to make a choice. And, and there, isn't, there is a doctrine of God giving freedom to man. It's not necessarily how it's being used today, but you and I do have freedom. We have the freedom to choose. Or you may say you have the ability to choose between good or evil. God has never and will never force anyone to love him. So, so when you think of these trees, you think of God said, you have a choice. You do not have to love God. You do not have to enjoy him. You do not have to follow God. It's your choice. And I say choose wisely. You won't be forced. It won't be something forced upon you. God did not create us as, you know, electronic dolls where we're just mimicking and repeating words that he forces us to say, I love you, God. No, it needs to come from the heart. It needs to become freely and willing. 
He'll never force you to raise your hands. You know, sometimes you're, as you're giving the instruction during song, there's the instruction, raise your hands. And then some of you know, there's always people, I'm not raising my hands. Well, nobody's going to force you. We don't have forced hand raisers that walk around the room. Nobody's going to force you. You know, the ones that force you to raise your hands, they're robbers. They're thieves. But God, when he has, he says, you raise your hands to me willingly in surrender, and I'll meet you there in that place of surrender. You want to put your hands in your pockets? Go ahead. You want to just hold your arms like this and be frustrated? That's okay, but God has more for you. It's how you'd make your choices. It's interesting, isn't it? Limitations bring on the opportunity to exercise choices. The limitations of God now gives to us the opportunity to make choices. And Adam and Eve in the garden... This is foundational, even to future doctrines, even some doctrines that say you have no choice. The sovereignty of God imposes choices upon you. Well, we have to go back before all these doctrines were developed by man and just ask a simple question. Did Adam and Eve have a real choice or not? Because if they didn't have a real choice, the rest of the Bible won't make sense. If Adam and Eve didn't have a real choice, then the fault of sin lays at the doorstep of God. That there was no opportunity. They were, they were stuck. Because if God made them to make that choice and they had no opportunity to make any alternative choice, then it's God's fault. But we know in the entirety of Scripture, sin is not God's fault. Every man, woman, and child will have a personal responsibility before God. We will stand before the judge. At the, well, for unbelievers, you'll stand at the great white throne judgment. For believers, we'll account for our lives at the Bema seat. So here we learn right in the beginning, as God is unveiling and opening his scriptures, that Adam and Eve had a capacity to choose. Remember in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. But I like the old King James rendering of this because it says, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And you and I never bring more pleasure to God than we, when we are abiding in Christ, living the life of submitted obedience. It brings God great pleasure, your desire to abide in Him. Choice does imply freedom, but a freedom to follow God. There are always those who will spend their entire lives trying to reconcile the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. However, both exist in the scriptures intention. Intention. Then you know, you know how it is. Nobody likes tension. N nobody likes those tense times. So we try to wiggle out of them instead of just, okay, God, I see your sovereignty, your creative power. And I also see that you have given the uh, awesome opportunity of choice to Adam and Eve. And you know what free will does? Free will and our ability to make choices, they reveal our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I'm not always happy what's been revealed in my heart. I have a tendency, and perhaps you can share, to think of myself better at times than I really am. Or, or, or say, put it this way, I think someone put it this way, where, you know, I will reach out and judge someone on a set of standards but I will go easier on myself. That's always a dangerous place to be. It's always a dangerous place to be to stand in the place of judgment. But when I open my heart to be revealed and have my heart revealed, I can see my heart through my choices. 
I can see where I'm headed. He's like, well, I don't know my heart. It's so it's hidden. You know, I know what the Bible says, that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, it, it's got, it, it, is, it is such a, in our world today, just follow your heart. Anytime I hear that, I go, no, don't follow your heart. It's wicked. It's deceitful. It's not always going to tell you the truth, especially when heart, when you refer to your heart as your emotions. You don't always want to follow your emotions. You, you want to follow the Lord. But I know when I'm making my choices, my heart is revealed. Jesus put it this way. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? Your mouth speaks. And even in the words that we choose to say are a revelation of our heart. But it does drive me to a deeper sense of humility to, to take what we learn in Hebrews to come boldly to the throne room of grace. Because then I'm making cho choices and I make bad choices, sinful choices, then I can have revealed to me that need for the grace of God. And I run to him. I don't run away from him. I run to him. Unfortunately, with Adam and Eve, the first thing they do, again, in our study next time, is they run away. So here they are, the garden there. Choices are before them. Notice verse 18 now, Genesis 2. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, of course, the context here, as we see revealed, will be in marriage and companionship in marriage. But there's also a spiritual truth that's important to grasp here. When, just in the phrase, it's not good for a man to be alone. And that is that it's not good for you as a believer to isolate yourself and be alone. And there have been habits created in the last couple of years with the pandemic and the decisions and the fear and the concerns and the high-risk health and all of it put together where some have just gotten used to being alone. They've just gotten used to it. What started out as necessity, what started out as uncertainty, has now become a two, two and a half year habit. And you just become, and perhaps it's just what you guys listening on the radio or watching online right now, it just becomes, it's just become a habit for you. But it's not good for man to be alone. It's not wise for us to isolate ourselves. It's important that we recognize that as one person once said, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing of going on this alone. And I, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to trek my own path. And I'm going I'm to live, you know, as we saw in our previous study this last weekend, you know, I don't want to deal with hypocrites. I don't want to deal with difficult Christians. I'm just going to go at it alone. I don't need anyone. So are those today that shun churches saying, I don't need that. I have church at home. I got my dog here, my hot chocolate. I'm watching on YouTube. I don't need it. I'll tie it to myself. And, you know, knowing that attitude would be among men, God just puts it very early on, even in the aloneness of Adam, for, the, for, for us to hear now. It's not good for you to be alone. God has created you for community. Hold your places here. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Would you go with me to Hebrews chapter 10? It was a familiar, often used passage over the past few years by many people. We were studying through Hebrews not too long ago. 
But it is an important one, uh, whether it's related to the pandemic or not. It, it, whether it's related to, um, you know, that idea is I, I just don't need to be. Like, it's one, thing, it's one thing within fellowship when you can't be. Okay, so God isn't asking you to be somewhere or doing something you can't do. But it's a whole other thing when you can and you won't. It's a whole other thing when you can be together with the brothers. And you can be together at a church gathering or a church for event, but you won't. And here's what the Word of God would say to you. Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And we unpack that in our Bible study through the book of Hebrews. But consider the one another. Consider the significance of being together and the value that comes when we are together. And he says, don't forsake it. It's not that don't do something you can't. It's, hey, if you can, don't forsake it. Don't write it off. Don't pretend that being together with other believers, being under the, uh, the systematic teaching of the Bible perhaps, or together to sing together and worship together, come together to pray together, come together to encourage one another. Don't forsake it. Don't forsake it. Why? Well, we learned right in the beginning of Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. Not good. We need to be together. We learn that word in the book of Acts. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And it has the depth of, of sharing in common. And when you're sharing in common, you're sharing together. It's not the same watching online, although that's needed sometimes. It's not the same. I mean, saying that online is my church now is like saying, well, I don't eat anymore. I just take vitamins. You know, no, you, that's, nobody does that. Nobody, you, you still eat. You, you need real nutrition. And on occasion, you have these supplements. You have some vitamins you take. That's great. They supplement the nutrition that you've taken in or maybe perhaps the lack thereof. But you can't just, well, I'll just go worship God uh, in the mountains all by myself. Well, you can, but not exclusively. And then, you know, the person that might say, and I, I was being uh, a little bit exaggerating to that, but the person goes, I'll just tie it to myself. Like, now you're, now you're making up doctrine. That's not possible. You don't tie it to yourself. Matter of fact, I mean, if you kind of think about it, Jesus said, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So how do you do that? Okay, I'm going to tie it to myself. Oh, but don't tell anybody left hand. You know, it's just, it's, you just start making, you, when you stay away from fellowship, you start making things up. And you start going your own way. Because who's going who's gonna to rebuke you? Who's going to challenge you? Who's going to encourage you? Who's going to question you? Who's going to pray for you? If you aren't together and you're by yourself, who's going to lay hands on you? When you're out by yourself and, and you're not a part of a fellowship, you've forsaken the gathering and you're, you're going out alone, then, then how will you obey the scriptures when it says, if there's any among you sick, call upon the elders. So that, that says that there's you and someone else. They can anoint you with oil and pray for you. The whole Bible is about community and togetherness unity and fellowship. Pastor Ed Taylor explaining why we need to be together. It's not good for us to be alone. 
and with that we'll draw another abounding grace to a close. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can listen through our app. That can be found in the App Store or Google Play by searching for Ed Taylor. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us present the teaching of God's Word on both the radio and Internet. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. You'll receive key principles of leadership in both the temporal and spiritual realms. Sanders points to great examples like Moses, Nehemiah, the Apostle Paul, David Livingstone, and Charles Spurgeon. And you'll learn about the cost of leadership, the responsibility of leadership, as well as the qualities and criteria of leadership. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Well, thanks again for joining us today for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Abounding Grace.